Blog Talk Radio. Welcome everyone to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. And I'm really thrilled to have John Lesquois on today as our best-selling novelist. Um, you might not know his name pronounced like that, though, because if you've read his books, you know it's L-E-S-C-R-O-A-R-T. But um, we pronounce it Lesquois, and John is the author of 28 novels, 19 of which have been New York Times bestsellers. Libraries Unlimited places him among the 100 most popular thriller and suspense authors in the United States. With sales of over 12 million copies, his books, his books have been translated into 22 languages in more than 75 countries, and his short stories appear in many anthologies. He's also currently the co-president with M.J. Rose of International Thriller Writers, the premier organization worldwide for authors of suspense and thriller books. Besides being a website that features his, uh, besides having a website that features his recipes, his interest in music has led him to start his own record label in his free time, which I don't know how he ever has any writing the books that he does. So, John, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be with me today. Hey, it's great, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So we've been on some panels together up in New York City at Thriller Fest, and I've uh-huh. always been just impressed with uh, how unpretentious you have been. I mean, you found great success as a novelist, great success as an author, and yet you never looked down on any of the up-and-coming authors, the aspiring writers. and So that just says a lot about your character, and I wanted to start off by just acknowledging that. And Thanks. Really I, feel, I actually feel like I don't have anything to be, you know, kind of like... Um, looking down on about i just feel like it's uh you know it's a wonderful way to make a living and and luckily i've been able to do it and i realize i mean i was 45 before i made a living at it so it's mm. not like i'm looking down on people going ha ha it's you know it's so easy it's something i'm just i'm so grateful that i'm where i am and uh i get to you know help other people get started and blurb a lot of books and do what i can do yeah, now that's a great note. You mentioned 45 until uh, you were able to make a living do- writing, and a lot of people, that'll shock them, surprise them. But I know the pathway to publication and to um, to making a living as a writer and so on is different yeah. for everybody. Uh, right. what, what was it like for you uh, to sort of uh, at, at at a point where, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, I thought he would have started, you know, much younger. Yeah. So it's kind of encouraging. Well, you know, the the thing is, I was being published for a lot of that time. When I say, right. you know, I mean, what I used to think of was making it was just the idea that I was getting a book published. Yeah. And you've got, you know, now you've got your 11th book coming out, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, you know, when you start having a book coming out every year, you start to begin to feel like you're you're in the community together and you're all, you know, kind of trying for the same thing. And what happened to me is I just kept hopefully turning out good books and five or six or seven, I think seven books into it, I finally had what you'd call a hit. And that that just changed everything. But before that, it wasn't like I was miserable. I mean, I was very content to be publishing books and coming out with one a year. And, you know, I felt like I was finally part of the mystery writer community and the thriller community. And it was great. And then, you know, then of course the, the money thing was a, raised its ugly head when we started having kids and doing all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I was working, I found myself working three jobs, you know, for six years. And even during that time, I was pretty content, actually. I mean, I was. Yeah. I kept hoping something would happen, but, 
you know, what was happening was I was getting published, and that was all that mattered at the time. Which was the book of yours that ended up kind of being a hit that really opened things up in a new direction? Well, again, this is kind of interesting. The book was The Thirteenth Juror, and it uh, I think it was my seventh book. And what happened was, I mean, it was I like to think I've, I've been writing pretty good books up to that point, but the difference yeah. was, you know, lightning strikes sometimes. And in this case, the lightning was the O.J. Simpson trial, which really? happened to, you know, be based on, you know, the battered women's syndrome and, and all of those kind of social issues, which yeah. were exactly what I'd written about two years previously in the 13th year. Oh. And by the time it came out in paper, the trial had just begun. And I I found myself, you know, being asked to be on the radio, you know, and talk about this whole battered women's syndrome and the whole uh, ethic of of abuse and the things we're still going through today, evidently. But at wow. least then it was the first time really that it had come up in a, you know, in a kind of a huge way in the, in the world view of everybody that this was a real important topic. Sure. And yeah. my book happened to just be there when the time was right. So that's it. So, yeah, so, you know, you did good work, faithful work for years, and, you know, and like what you said, lightning struck, but um, but had you not, you know, put in all of those many hours beforehand. Oh, sure. You know, some people say it took you 20 years. Some people say it took a guy 20 years to become an overnight success. Overnight success, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. well, yeah, so now you've written both standalone books and series novels, correct? Yeah. Yeah, now, which is it, which is more of a challenge for you as you approach writing, let's say, your next novel? Which is easier or which is more difficult, the standalone or the, um, or the series book? I have found the standalone to be just very tough. It's, it's, what's really been funny about my standalone books, I think I have about five of them, and they, they've all wound up becoming folded back into the big picture among my the universe that I've created in San Francisco. So oh, what, yeah. You know, when I wrote The Hunt Club, I was just writing about Wyatt Hunt, and he was a new guy, and I was very excited about the fact that I was writing about a private eye and all this stuff, and he comes out in the next book after that, he winds up into my series. He becomes Dismas Hardy's, you know, kind of investigator for his law firm. Yeah. And the same thing happened with Gina Roke when I wrote The Suspect. I wanted to do a female protagonist. And have all of that kind of cool, different stuff going on. And I wrote a book with that. And then the next time next time I turned around, there she is. She's part of Hardy's firm. And she'd uh -huh. always been there, but all of a sudden she had a different role, and it was great. So I think maybe um, what I do to fight the, the possibility of getting bored is I take a, a book or a year off or once in a while and, and write a standalone. And they're tough. <laughs> They are tough because yeah. you want to have a completely different universe and a unique universe every time you start a new book. And I don't mind going back to my series. That's fine. I've kind of made a deal with my readers that, you know, I'm going to deliver this kind of book and it's going to have this kind of issue and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But in terms of a standalone, you don't have that. You have a completely fresh slate and you don't want to be, you know, drawing ridiculous uh, comparisons with your other work. So anyway... It's a long-winded yeah, answer, no. but it's pretty, no, pretty cool. I know for me in the in the series novels that I've written, um, I have certain characters and promises, I would say, from the previous books sure. that I always look at it as I'm going to be fulfilling this promise. Um, but a standalone is different. You don't have, you know, hundreds of pages of promises. 
yeah. to fulfill. It's just like what you said, blank slate. And uh, yeah, plus plus the one I did last year, Fatal, um, you know, was very different in format in. Uh, really in every possible way, in the, in the resolution or the lack thereof. I mean, there were just so many interesting things going on when I was trying to pull it all together. But I really, kind of about halfway through, I kind of lost confidence that I was going to be able to do it. So writing the book became difficult, which was a very uh, unusual thing for me because I've been luckily pretty prolific. And um, it's always kind of come easily. Um, but this one was, I was so aware that I was really out there on a limb and didn't exactly know how to get off it. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's, yeah. that's one of the ways that these things happen. You know, it finally turned out to be, I think, pretty good. But uh, it was a lot of work getting to it. That was the question I wanted to ask, actually, was about the confidence. I mean, you found, you know, great success. You have faithful readers who come back to you year after year for more books. And I wondered if you ever came to that place writing where you were saying, is this any good? Is anybody going to like this story? Yeah. Um, you know. I think anybody who doesn't have that isn't, you know, isn't paying enough attention. Uh, I think, yeah, you get to the point sometimes that you go, I've already written 15, let's say, 15 books and 15 yeah. different crimes and all of the motivations of all the people around there. You start thinking you've kind of run the well dry. You know, you've tapped yeah. it out. Uh, and I think that's the lack of confidence that I have. And then you just have to get back to the, the simple fact of sitting down and putting down pages every day. And it's amazing how that just solves a multitude of sins and worries. Now, are you often people will tell me that they're outliners or that they're organic writers or maybe pantsers if they call them that. Yeah. Do you have one approach that seems to work for you, or does it vary with the different books uh, that you're working on? Actually, it's varied over time. I was yeah. much more a planner in my early uh, early days because I didn't really have a lot of confidence that I knew how to do a, a mystery plot. And how to hold hold back certain things from the readers, and I had to learn how to do those elements of craft. And what really helped me in those days was to write outlines. To well, I had to, you know, I got paid when I handed an outline anyway, so I was yeah. motivated to do an outline. So I'd sit down and I'd and I outline. I would, you know, the first outlines I wrote for Thirteenth Juror, for example, was two hundred pages long. <laughs> oh my goodness! I know it's yeah. like really, I'm gonna, and now I have to write a book out of that. So. That was a very unusual thing, but it was more in line with what I was trying to do in general, even though, you know, that was the longest one. But I had written 40 or 50 page outlines before. Yeah. And then suddenly somewhere around, I believe it kind of was the Hunt Club, actually a standalone book, where I finally just said, you know what? I don't care. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I got a cool story here and I'm just going to run with it. Yeah. And ever since then, I've been what they call, I guess, a pantser. I don't love that name. <laughs> no, but, I don't uh, like it either. I, uh, yeah, I actually, see, let's call I, it a cedar, you know, cedar <laughs> the pantser. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, since that time, I've pretty well gotten into the whole idea. And we're talking now 10 or 15 books. I've really just gotten a general idea, written a first chapter, sent it into my editors. They tend to like it. And then I go, okay, I'm going to just go, and it's going to turn out the way it's going to turn out. And it's really very much no outline. I mean, I just sit down and write scenes. And when you um, when you sit down, let's say that um, you've been working on your book for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or something, and you're mm -hmm. sitting down. What kind of what's going through your head? Are you reviewing what you wrote the day before, the week before, or are you able to just pick it up at that spot? Um, 
and, and move forward. I know for me, I, ha- I have to review very often, mm-hmm. at least once a week, kind of review the story so that I keep in my mind what's important to readers and, again, what promises I've made and that I need to keep. But what, what, how, how does it work for you? Well, I, I, every time I sit down to write, I go back a few pages. Okay, sure. And I kind of get into whatever I was doing on those last pages. And quite frequently, I'll, believe it or not, I'll throw them out. I just won't like them. Then I'll go back yeah. a couple more pages. And finally, I'll get to where it begins to holistically fill in, and I'll start writing the next pages. And since I basically try to sit at my desk until I put out a certain number of pages and words, uh-huh. um, you know, by the end of that day, I'm ready to do it again the next day. Which is not to say it always just comes like in the first five minutes. Sometimes it takes me two and a half hours to start writing, and then I'll have a, a blast of writing the last five pages in, in two hours. It's just yeah, the way it seems to People will ask, you know, you know saying, well, how, how do you write, or how do you write every day, or how do you come up with ideas? And mm-hmm. it's so interesting, like, if you're a plumber, you don't show up for work and be like, man, I can't remember how to plumb, <laughs> you know, how to put two <laughs> pipes together. Yes. I was talking with an actor in Hollywood, and then he right. said the same thing, like, He's like, how do, well, I learn my part and I go on stage or I go, you know, on the set and I, I, and I just do it. My job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. that's what, 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 luckily that's what's happened to me where it's, it's been my job for the last 15 or 20 years. Yeah. And I really don't let myself, you know, I mean, when I get home and I haven't done, had a great day's work, I sometimes get depressed about it, but it's not like I think I'm not going to be able to write the next day. I just come in the next day and usually it's better. And, uh, you know, it takes a little bit of kind of a jump start of reading the past pages and getting up to where you were. But then you just go. You just sit down and write. In fact, the the book that I um, just finished actually last month, which is my 2019 book, Hmm. um, you know, we had a very busy summer just personally. I I had a bunch of weddings we had to go to, and it was all good. And, you know, the ITW Thriller Fest happened in the middle of the summer. And this is all during my writing time. And so I came back in September with a book due in December, do the math. And I was, you know, I only had about 100 pages. And I went, whoa, boy, dude, you better not get into the whole writer's block thing here. So I I just came in and said, I don't care. I just got to keep putting down words. And, you know, once you let your subconscious kind of be your guide and take over, it, it it seems to work. I mean, it does for me anyway. So, it takes a lot of trust in the process. That's what that. it is. It's all yeah. about. I mean, everybody says it's the journey, you know. And but the fact of the matter is, it is the journey. It's a yeah. real process. You have to sit down and just write pages. And yeah. sometimes the pages are horrible, but they'll take you to another place that you'll have a a better jumping off point, and you'll be able to do it. Yeah, I sometimes tell people, you know, every idea is a doorway to the next. So, yeah. so you come come to some of those pages, like you just said, and you're like, yeah, this is just not working. Yeah. But it leads you to a place where hopefully, you know, the next. Well, here's the other thing that I think is just crucial that, that people don't, don't give enough credit to, and that is there is a huge um, reality that you have to get to the ending. You have to finish. Yeah. And I think this is where so many people lose their way is they, of course, you're going to lose your way in the course of a 500 page book. I mean, it's crazy. You know, you have so many plot moments, you have so many things that that can go wrong. Well, some of them do go wrong and you have to be able to recognize them. 
But you also have to then put them aside even after you've kicked them out. Said, okay, who cares? I'm going to the finish line. So even if you you know broke a leg or you got a you know sprained ankle or whatever it may be, you got to cross that line, and then you can look back and fix stuff. But if you don't finish, you're dead. I have so many people come up to me like at you know places like uh, writers' conferences, and they go, you know, I've got six half manuscripts in my drawer at home. <laughs> yep. And I'm going, guy, you know, really finish one of them, pick one at random. And yeah. when they do that, I mean, I've had other people then email me later and say, that's the best advice I ever had. Just because they got to the ending, they saw it, all of a sudden they were a novelist. They weren't like an aspiring novelist. They'd written a whole book. And suddenly it was all because they had to get to the end and they finally realized it. That's great. I mean, it it sounds simplistic a little bit. You say, of course, it's self-evident, but it doesn't make it any less true. No, I mean, you know, how many times have you started in your early, you know, when you started, you know, to kind of learn this craft? Yeah. You know, you get 50 pages done and you go, well, I got a great beginning. And the very fact that you don't have a middle yet stops people completely dead. Yeah. Yeah. And what they need to do is go, well, let's find out what the middle is and just start <laughs> tapping, you know. Yep. Yeah. Start playing playing it out and and see where it, see where it leads. Exactly. Um sometimes people are uh, afraid with our approach of getting, you know, stuck it, they'll often say, you know, don't write yourself into a corner. And um no, what do you the do exact get... opposite is true. <laughs> don't you feel that? I mean, write yourself into a corner any that. chance you get. That's I do actually. I wrote a an article for Writers Digest magazine on that on that very topic. I think yeah. it's essential to do it. Right. Because How else do you then, surprise your readers yeah. if you don't surprise yourself once in a while? You know. Yeah. 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 Well, oh, it's a great. crazy. So, it's a crazy field, and it's not for everybody. But if it happens, if it happens that you're crazy a little bit, you know, it's a good field to be in. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier one of your characters that I wanted to go back to, Dismas Hardy. Hopefully, I pronounced that correctly. Sure. And uh, I didn't know that he was actually named after someone, uh, a, a famous saint. Can you tell yes. us about that? Well, you know, I was raised a good Roman Catholic, and I went to Catholic schools and all of that stuff. So I had all of that liturgy going around in my brain and all the history and theology. And actually was going to, you know, until I was 12 years old, I was going to be a priest. So I was really serious about all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh you know, Dismas happens to be the good thief on Calvary. And, um, you know, one of the things I, this is going to sound crazy, but I'll just go ahead. Uh, one of my plans when I was first starting to think about being a writer is I thought that I would write my Nobel winning literature pieces uh, sure. every other year. And then every <laughs> other year beyond that, I'd write my, my, uh, Travis McGee series, you know, my John D. McDonald series. Yeah. So, I needed a name, and I and the name that I just came up with when I was like 15 years old, no kidding, was Dismas Hardy, because he was, you know, the good thief, and he was, what a great thing that he's the patron saint of thieves and murderers, and he was going to be a, uh, an attorney who's going to be helping thieves and murderers, perfect. And it's an easy name to remember, not like John Lesqua, but like Dismas Hardy, that's easy. <laughs> so... Here we had, you know, Dismas showing up, and he actually showed up in little sketches I did when I was 17 years old. He was nothing like that. the Dismas Hardy we know, but the name just wouldn't lose me. So I kept with it, and there he is. It's great. 
Yeah, that is, that's cool. And I like how he is the patron saint of, you know, thieves and murderers. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have him, have him in your books in a, in a modern setting. And so. Yeah. Now, when you're, um, when you're enjoying, uh, let's say, reading, now I know that you do a lot of reading because you do blurb a lot of books for, for other authors, and they always appreciate that. But yeah. when you just have like a, an open weekend and you're like, look, I don't have to write much this weekend or, or whatever it is, yeah. what type of stories draw you in the most? Where, where do you go for, for uh, stories that really, really move you personally? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the thriller. Yeah, and uh, you know, particularly the crime thriller—not so, not so much the international thriller—but you know, I love I love people who've really got a command of the language, and you know, I mean, among my favorites are C.J. Box and T. Jefferson mm-hmm. Parker, and you know, of course, Lee Child. But everybody loves Lee, and <laughs> but it's you know why? Because he's good. And, yeah. you know, uh, so are all these other guys I mentioned. I turn to, I tend to turn to the guys who kind of classically tell a story. And, you know, C.J. Chuck does that pretty well, I mean, better than man, many, if not most. And yeah. Jeff and, and um, Lee. And then I also, you know, love going back to the masters like Elmore Leonard and, uh, believe it or not, John D. McDonald. Nice. Just to, just to kind of keep my finger in the pie. Yeah, I like to read a variety of, you know, different novels and I love thrillers, I love suspense. Yeah. When I'm in the middle of a book, I actually try to avoid reading that type. Let's uh, let's say I'm writing more of a police procedural. Right. I kind of pull back from writing that or reading that same type of book. Uh, I don't know if I'm just I don't want subconsciously I think most of us do that. You know, yeah. I think most yeah. of us do that because you don't want to subconsciously be borrowing from other people. Yeah, and you yeah. know, I I know that when the first time I I actually asked Elmore Leonard, my publisher did, he asked Elmore Leonard for a blurb for my books, and he said, you know, I'd love to read his books, but I don't read these kind of books when I'm writing a book. Yeah, so that was the first time I ever heard that said, and you know, since then I've kind of come around to the same belief. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, now, when you're writing, um, let's say, a mystery or creating great suspense. Um, what would you say are some of the secrets to doing that in a way that keeps readers guessing and and um, and really really pulls them along? I know some people use multiple points of view. Some people, you know, use single point of view. Uh, what, what's kind of your approach to developing that sense of mystery or suspense? Well, I like I like uh, multi the multi approach more than yeah. the straight ahead one POV approach. Um, I really like the idea of having various people. What you're trying to do with when you're grabbing a, a reader is you're trying to give him something to engage his or her mind as well in the plot. And if you have a lot of different things going on at once, it really creates an opportunity to involve the reader in a much more immediate way than if there's just a single point of view. At least I find it easier that way. And then you can just create, you know, one angle of looking at something and then just twist it a little tiny bit, and all of a sudden the facts actually seem to be different. And then, uh, you know, you can take a third point of view or a fourth or fifth or whatever it is, and as you start piling those up, as the book progresses, you, you know, you can know something's going on here, but you don't know what it is. And, you know, as long as there's something going on, you're ahead of the game. Hmm. 
I like it. I like um, I like the idea of keeping lots of balls in the air. I try to yeah. do that in some of my. It also books, gives you an opportunity. Pardon me for interrupting, but it, it gives no, you an yeah, opportunity yeah. to to let different voices out into the you know out into the book, and, and that in itself creates, uh, I think, a really positive reading environment where you feel kind of engaged and interested in whatever is happening because there's so much happening. Even if you don't know how it all relates, you know, readers tend to trust that you're going to tie it up enough for them that will be satisfying. And sure enough, you you probably do. I mean, most of us yeah, probably get to the end that, and go, hey, look, we did it. Cool, huh? All those 15 things fit together. Yeah, and it does It does require trust with, yeah. between the readers and the writers. So, And you know how you keep I, that trust? This is the okay, thing. Story. You got to keep the, you keep that trust because you write good language. You use mm. good language. You have cleverness in the words you use. You're always yeah. using the right word. You know, you care about those craft issues. And not to sound snooty, but they are they are super important for published writers to keep that in mind. You've got to be able to make the reader trust you in the way you do that is you give, you know, the reader something to love and enjoy while they're going through it. Yeah, and I think of it then in terms of, you know, especially early on, show them that you're going to keep your promises. That's right. How many books, you know, that I've started reading and, or people come up to me and they'll say, I read this other book or something and they played up this whole storyline and it never went anywhere. (laughs) I'm thinking, that's a broken promise. That's a broken promise, right. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's also a broken promise when you have, you know, a beautiful, let's say, prologue that sets up something. And then you you open up the book and the actual words in the book kind of fall apart. I mean, you have Mm, misplaced antecedents. You got sloppy adjectives. You you know, you got all these problems that are technical, but they're super important. And the reason they're important is because they work. So and people always go, I mean, this is when I was really young and adamant about all this stuff, I would get like lathered up at, you know, conferences and go, well, the reason this isn't working is because it's badly written. <laughs> That's the problem. You can't follow it. But I don't and do sometimes that people, Yeah, well, <laughs> you. yeah, that's why I'm saying you're too nice. But um, yeah, well, yeah, I think. I think I, I don't know if this is true or not, but maybe you can give me some perspective. I think you know when when television and film started, they mm-hmm. tapped into written language to to novels and so on to create yeah. stories. And as film has progressed, they began to um, you know use lots of different camera angles and lots of different point of views. Now you can have this character, you know, with this type of camera angle, and then you can flip to another one. And yeah. I have the sense that writing today is in, instead of film emulating writing, that writing is actually emulating film in the sense that readers are very narratively astute and when you yeah. have all of these different storylines going on mm-hmm. um, it's almost like you know watching a, a television show or something like that where you have these different threads and different points of view and then they all bring together at the end anyway, yeah. so th- yeah, I think that it seems like at least Writing is becoming more cinematic. Well, you know, it's funny. When I was starting out in this business, I used to think people would say writing's, you know, try to be cinematic. And I didn't know what it meant. I literally Hmm. didn't. I kept thinking, is that, do they want me to make it like a movie kind of? I don't exactly know. But the answer 
really is show and don't tell. I mean, it really goes back to the, the standard writing rules that we all learned when we were starting to learn to write fiction. Yeah. And I think that's what you get when you when you mean cinematic. I think the TV TV's stolen it from us, and now it's it's going back the other way. It's both it's both ways. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so it's really I think this is the the golden age of narrative. Really, I mean, given the 500 TV shows that are out right now, and you know, back in the old days, it was one or two. You know, and yeah, now it there's really a is a, play, a time of. Of golden storytelling. I mean, there's it is. great, it is. great books out there. Some great television series being, yeah. you know, being made and created. And right, and you know, a lot of it pushes the envelope, and a lot of it pushes it into areas that some people are unfamiliar with or uncomfortable with. But that's always been the case. I mean, you're trying to make something new and fresh and entertaining, and so you got to push things a little bit and, and make them uh, make them unique. Now what? When you're working on your books, what would you say is easier to write, heroes or villains? Um, You know, they're both important, and and they they play off one another, and that's not a cop-out answer. Your hero has got to be heroic, believable, strong, clever, whatever, all the above. And your evil guy has got to be an adversary, a worthy adversary to that guy, Mm, your hero. And if you don't have both sides, you don't have a story. Um, I, so I, I really have to say I get a little bit more fun because I know Dismas Hardy is a hero, a multi-hued hero uh-huh. uh, on one hand. And so when I have a really bad, bad guy, um, there's almost nothing more fun than writing that. Because you can just do some, <laughs> do some nasty stuff and go, I know he's going to get it in the end, but boy, while he's not getting it, this is ugly. So um, fun stuff. Have you ever have you ever written something with like what they say is an anti-hero or well, anti-hero story? Yeah, I think my book Fatal falls into that category. Yeah, just last year. I mean, it, that's that's one of the reasons it was um, so difficult to kind of get it together and say, okay, what are you really trying to get to here? Yeah, and you know, the resolution of that book is problematic at best, and uh, you know, people. I've had people say, well, this one just didn't work. And on the other hand, I've had people say, this is the most absolutely, unbelievably great ending I've ever read. Wow. So, you know, and I've had a lot of mail on both sides. So I'm figuring, well, at least people are talking about it. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, It seems like in our culture today, and I really don't know if this is um, just a reflection of our world or if it's just the way that stories are being told, but so many, it seems to me that so many movies at least are, are going in the direction of the anti-hero where yes, he has the yeah. gift, but he starts off and he doesn't want to do his great calling. And so he's sort of <laughs> moping yeah. around and not really doing anything. And then, you know, the inciting incident happens and then suddenly he's thrown into this world. And I just get tired of, it seems like it's the same. Well, story. It, it is the same old story. I mean, that's what you want to avoid. How do you make the same old story fresh and totally different that it isn't the same old story? And the answer is you write scenes that people haven't written before Hmm. and that really have a different kind of an attitude about them that that the stuff that you're revealing is, um, you know, is dark or, you know, um, anti-heroic is the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not really a believer in the guy, you know, who's been an assassin – you know, for 15 years, and all of a sudden he becomes a school teacher. 
you know, yeah. I, I just it's a little bit much for me. But which is not to say that somebody couldn't write that book tomorrow and make it yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. I like I like heroes like when you said a minute ago who are heroic who sort of not not that they're shiny in every way but that they sure. exhibit the courage um, maybe the resolve and and the virtues that I would want to emulate That's exactly kind of yeah, yeah and plus who you want to root for. I I think that's a great way of looking at who the protagonist is, is to ask yourself, who do I root for? Or who do you want the readers to root for? Um, People give all sorts of different definitions of antagonist and protagonist and who's trying to... And and so finally, I just like to say, you know, let's boil it down. Whose side are you on? Who do you want to see? Whose side are you on? Right. Yeah. You know, I just saw. I don't. I don't know if this is appropriate to comment about uh, television shows that are out right now. But sure, I why saw, not? I just saw an unbelievable series called Godless, and okay, was, that's G O D L E S S. And it's, yeah, I haven't it's seen a it. Front, it's a frontier story, and it's just outrageously good in terms of heroes and bad guys. It's one of the most pure portrayals of, you know, the hero versus the bad guy that I've ever seen. And I just can't, I, I'm still really thrilled about it. I just watched the last chapter of it last night. And oh, nice. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Excellent. I'm going to jot it down and, and check it out. Godless, yeah. Good. I, um, I'm always looking for, for shows that are well told. You know, people you know say, well, what do you like to watch on TV? Like when Breaking Bad was on, I watched Breaking Bad, and it had me sure. hooked. And, and even though I was like, why do I like this show so much? It was just, it <laughs> well, was just a great storytelling. The you know? Antihero to the max, you know. Yeah, no kidding. And I think the Antihero to the max is also a wonderful way to pr- proceed. If that's the thing that rings your bells, then it can probably ring your readers' bells and just believe in it and go for it. You know, yeah. I mean, what a great idea that was, and I mean, everybody knows it now. But you know, I remember when I even first heard about it, I went, "Really? That's going to?" I know, I did too. <laughs> yeah, but it, it just totally worked. So, you know, really, there's no rules. The sky's the limit. Just, you know, as long as it's well told, it'll be uh, it'll be received. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, as a co-president of ITW. Um, you you guys are working hard to really try and find more um, to help authors find success as suspense writers and thriller writers. Tell us a little bit yeah. about the organization for people who aren't familiar with it. Well, it's fantastic, and I will say right at the beginning that my new co-president is is, is Heather Graham, MJ. Oh, right on, yeah. Two years, but now Heather has taken over, and so we are we are ruling from the, the high mountaintops together. So, <laughs> Excellent, yeah. It, it's pretty fun. And I do tell people, if they want to, they can call me Your Excellency. Oh, really? I'll have yeah, to remember You're that. welcome to call, that, call me that if you'd like to. When I'm in my presidential robes, as it were, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm joking. So any, uh, the, the organization is fantastic. You know, it was formed about 11 or 12 years ago, um, because David Morrell and Gail Linz were at a voucher con, and they realized that nobody who had written thrillers were being nominated for the Best Mystery Awards. And they said, this, this just isn't right. You know, we should have some recognition that we write a little bit of a different kind of a story, but we kind of, you know, really have a big presence on 
um, on times on the Times list and on other bestseller lists, and we need a little bit more recognition. Yeah. So Gail reached out to you know uh, a couple of us, uh, Clive Cussler and John Kellerman and me and a few people, and we put together a little nest egg of money to start it off. And then we had a couple of brilliant strategists. Uh, Steve Berry comes to mind, his wife Liz, who's now the executive director. Just people who decided to put this thing together. We had our first meeting in Arizona back in 2001 or something like that. And we just, everybody fell in love with each other. We just had a blast. Uh, you know, this whole idea of competition among equals, it all kind of went away. We were all trying to help each other. And we just, everybody had such a blast. We decided to do it again. We moved to New York. And the rest, as they say, is history. It's just been a, I think now we have something like 4,000 members. And uh, we're a nation, we're worldwide. Yeah. It's just a fantastic organization that really is uh you know, I'm just so proud to be part of it, I can't tell you. Yeah, I think I've been a member for maybe seven or eight years, and what you just said uh-huh. is exactly what I felt. There wasn't any competition. The people yeah. people are there to encourage each other. It's not a well, one-upmanship sort of thing. And, uh, right, and I right. just Every time I go to one of the conferences, I always feel like I'm coming home. It's like going to camp almost, just exactly. seeing all your friends again, and you're getting re-energized because this is, you know, this is a lonely business out here. It is. And, you know, the other thing that's so great and what, what the ITW has done right from the beginning is, number one, we don't tar- charge dues, so we don't, we don't have any burden at all to join. But the other thing that's amazing is we have this publication that we've been coming out with now every year that all of us, uh, you know, I think the first one, Thriller, had something like 60 short stories in it, and it became the best-selling anthology of all time. Hmm. Um, and when you talk about reaching out to the general public and giving them something they're not, they haven't seen before, this was just an unbelievable, you know, groundbreaking moment for yeah. fundraising and how to start an organization and also how to raise the level of recognition of those people. And it was just amazing. It was just uh, we've now had, I think, seven or eight books in there. They are extremely successful. And they they have all kinds of different thrillers in them, you know, thriller writers and different st- kinds of stories. They're just fantastic. I, I recommend, you know, anybody who's interested, look up ITW on the uh, on the web and look under publications. And you got half a year of reading right there of, of all good contemporary, the best in the business stuff. Yeah, they're um... – I'll, I'll second that. They're great um, collections. I'm just looking at my shelf at some of them right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that. I mean, you know, I you know, I got a call from you know T. Jefferson Parker saying, you know, do you want to uh, have our two characters get together and have an adventure? I mean, how do you turn that down? You know? <laughs> and it happens with uh, you know, it happened with all kinds of pairs of guys and girls working on these things together. And so there's really a sense of camaraderie much more than there is a sense of, you know, conflict and competition. Yeah. Yeah. So if, uh, if you're listening and you are, um, an author of thrillers or suspense novels, and it's a big, it's a big umbrella because we have political thrillers, we have psychological suspense, kind of all across the gamut, action, military thrillers. But, um, yep. if that's your, yep. If that's your style, if that's your type of writing, you know, for sure check out International Thriller Writers and 
and uh, maybe become a member. Well, it's just, what, what yeah. I love about it, Steve, is it's just so inclusive. You know, it's really yeah. very much like we're in a, you know, we're kind of a gang of folks who, who kind of want to do the same kind of thing in a general sense, and we want to help each other because, you know, what's good for business for any one of us is good for the business in general. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us, um, tell us about the new book that you have coming out here in February. Well, after my book, Fatal, last year, I, I couldn't wait to get back to Dismas Hardy. <laughs> and uh, so this, is, this book, Poison, uh, brings back Dismas Hardy, who, when we last saw him, he was almost killed in, in my book, The Fall. And he had, had it, taken a couple of bullet wounds. So that's the other reason I wanted to have a standalone book in the way, because I, didn't, I write in real time. And I didn't ah. think that Hardy was going to be jumping up out of bed with a couple of bullet wounds in him and going and chasing down some bad guys. So I gave him a year off to get better. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> he's, coming, he's, he's coming back to the fold, and he, uh, he has an ex-client of his, a woman named Abby Jarvis, who gets accused of murdering her boss, who runs a, uh, talk about a glamorous lifestyle, he runs a plumbing uh, plumbing fixtures um, business in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And she is accused of poisoning him, hence the name. And uh, it's just a, cl- I mean, it's a classic Dismas Hardy mystery. And I, I think it's probably my best mystery in terms of, you know, who done it and why and all that good stuff. I'm really proud of it. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. We want, yeah. we want our readers for sure to check it out. When, when you were writing it, were there any moments where you just, and you don't have to give away any plot spoilers, but where you were like, oh, yes, if I can pull this off, that is going to be, that is going to be brilliant. Well, here's what did I you ever did. have this any is, of those moments? Oh, I just, I did have one of those moments because one of the things that's so cool about, that I always used to love when reading other books, is when there'll be a murder on page one of some type. And then on chapter two, there'll be a completely separate murder. You know, different part of town, different Uh people, blah, blah, blah. And I used to just, that's enough to start me turning pages right there. And then suddenly when you figure out how it's going to, how it plays out, how it fits together, and how these two completely wildly disparate things can turn into one solution, it's just heaven when that hits. And that happened to me maybe 200 pages into this book. And I saw the ending and I just, it's one of those books that I probably wrote the last 85 pages in four days. Oh my goodness! I mean, I just, I just couldn't keep up. I went, oh my god! I see it so clearly. I love this. So, anyway, that is even man, now after I've... all these years. But see, if you'd lost the passion, that would be bad. But instead, it's like it's become reignited in you. Well, it's pretty fun stuff sometimes. If you, if you can, you know, if you know when you're about to, you know, swing and hit one out, you know, you you don't want to sit back and wait, take a pitch. You want to swing. And uh, this one was, I saw this, you know, the beginning of this thing, and one side is police procedural, and this other side is a totally different family drama that's going on, and there can't possibly be any connection between the two. And then when the connection popped up, I just was just thrilled beyond belief. I went, but again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I didn't know what that was going to be. I just knew I was setting myself up in a, in a great position if I could pull it together. 
and then I think it got pulled together. So Yahoo. Well, that sounds yeah, that sounds great. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, so before we close up, I wanted to see if you had any parting words of advice for maybe authors, aspiring authors, or pe- people, maybe filmmakers, anyone who might be listening. Who, okay, all you who filmmakers, buy my books. <laughs> <laughs> My options are That's good advice. I like it. That's it, yeah. You know, my advice really is to not lose faith. It's a very difficult field to make a a living in, but, you know, it's also difficult to be picking strawberries out of the fields. You just got to go to your job every day, and you got to try to love it, and you got to feel like you're doing something worthwhile. And then, of course, as we said on this show a couple of times, you have to finish something. And if you finish enough things, you will you will garner the skills and the craft that you need, and you'll become successful, I believe. Nice. Yeah, good. Well, that's good advice, and it was a really good conversation. I really enjoyed some of your advice and anecdotes, but also just um, kind of hearing from your heart what matters to you, what's beating at the heart of the stories that you write. And so it was, uh, it was an honor to have you on today, John. Well, thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it myself and, tremendously. Yeah. <laughs> and we want people to check out your, your new book. What's the best place for people to go to either find out about book signings you might be doing or the releases of your products? Uh, is it at your well, website or... Well, I have a website, of course, and it's my name, com, and I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I should be in, you know, all the stores and on Amazon on February the 13th, which is when the book comes out, Poison. So, yeah, so right before um, Valentine's Day, huh? Right, yeah, you can get your, get your girlfriend or boyfriend a, a murder mystery. Yeah, a murder no. mystery called Poison, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? A that very sounds romantic great. romantic book. Yeah. Well, to all of our listeners, I want to thank you for for um, joining us on the broadcast today. Um, if you want to look into some of my stories and books and, and check out um, stephenjames.net and for other broadcasts here and other shows, click to thestoryblender.com. And, folks, always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. We'll see you next time.